Hello and welcome back to Deconstructing Disney here on the Commented Podcast where we take a deep dive into the making of the origin um, and lasting impact of Disney films. I'm Tori. I'm Marin. I'm Nia. And I'm Decoria. And this week we'll be taking a look into the Disney film Sleeping Beauty. For those of you who are new to Deconstructing Disney, um, we are going to be doing this series forever. <laughs> We're only on animated Disney films where we take a great, we rewatch them, talk about them, and make um, formulated, educated opinions because we're smarties. Um, and if you want to be a smarty like us, make sure you drink your water, wear your mask, and sunscreen as we jump into Disney's 15th animated series, 16th animated series. Um, Sleeping Beauty was released in 1959. It's an animated musical fantasy film produced by Walt Disney based on the 1697 fairy tale Sleeping Beauty by Charles Perlet. Okay. The 16th Disney animated feature film. It was released in theaters on January 29th by Buena Vista Distribution. It features the voices of Mary Costa, Ellen, Eleanor Audley, Veneer Felton, Barbara Ludi, Barbara Jo Allen, Billy Shirley, Taylor Holmes, and Will Thompson. Um, the film costs it's 75 minutes long. It costs six million dollars and had a box office of fifty one point six million in the United States and Canada. So, question before we get into our recap. Is this your first time watching Sleeping Beauty? Uh, Maren? No, I definitely do have memories of watching this film when I was younger. Mm, Okay, okay. Corey? Yeah, same for me. I've seen this a couple times, and then I've seen the live action to Maleficent. So, Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. And yeah? Yeah, same. I've seen this when I was a kid and then I saw it again when I was like in middle school. So yeah, I've seen this several times. What about you, Tori? I've definitely seen it. I have vague memories about some of the classic scenes and some of the songs. I don't have any strong memories about Sleeping Beauty. Let's be honest. Nobody ever remembers her name is Aurora. Um, <laughs> ever. Yeah. Uh, like a film, I was like, her name is Aurora. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. So let's just jump into this recap. Um, A Sleeping Beauty, 1959. We open up with a storybook. Um, I think, I don't remember if Lady and the Trip had a storybook in the beginning of it. But uh, Sleeping Beauty starts with a storybook and we're, we're in this, you know, fictitious kingdom where good King Stefan and Queen Leia are welcoming the birth of their little baby daughter, Princess Aurora. The whole town is ready for the beautiful baby girl. It's her birthday. It's going to be like an official holiday, you know. So they're going to pay homage to her. And I think it's at her christening. And she's going to get betrothed to Prince Philip. And then, um, you know, King Hubert and King Stefan are best friends. So, like, our kids are going to be married. And Prince Philip walks up on her crib and makes that really, he's like, this fucking baby. What the fuck is this? <laughs> I cracked up laughing. And so, you know, we're all, like, ready, you know, good health and wealth for the princess or whatever. And so then we get three, uh, the good fairies, Miss Flora Fauna and Miss Merriweather, who are like, we're going to bless her, you know, um, Flora and Fauna, Flora and Fauna. I'm going to get that confused this entire podcast. I'm warning you now. <laughs> um, they bless her with beauty and song. And just as Merriweather is about to, you know, bless her with the beautiful gift, Beef, bam, boom, the evil fairy Maleficent pops up 
And she was like, oh, look at this. Y'all having a party. You didn't invite me. That's um, unfortunate. And the fairies are like, oh, because you wanted to be here? Because she's like, what? No, I just thought it was like a misstep. So, you know, and the queen is like, um, you're not offended, are you? She's like, of course not. Let me curse your daughter. Um, so Maleficent a says... A bit extreme, in my opinion, for not being invited <laughs> to a party, but okay, sure. Maleficent's a petty queen. She said, I don't get an invite to this party. Your daughter's not going to be live past 16. So she curses Aurora and says that if she ever pricks her finger on the spindle of a spinning wheel but, um, when the, before the sun sets on her 16th birthday, she will dip, daffy doop, die. The king and the queen beg the fairies to under the curse. They're like, uh, sorry, Maleficent's a little bit more powerful, so we can't do that. So Meriwether uses her last gift to bless her that instead of dying, she's going to fall into a deep sleep and the curse will be broken with true love's kiss. So King Zephyr orders all the spinning wheels throughout the kingdom to be burned to the ground. And then um, the fairies are like, you know what? Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether um they're just like you know what we gotta talk about this because we can't just let maleficent win she's an awful person so they're like you know what we're gonna give up our magic live as peasants and raise aurora in a cottage in the forest because that's an original storyline um so 16 years later we didn't even get to see them <laughs> this is so interesting storytelling to me we didn't even get to see baby aurora who's been renamed briar rose and these fairies interactions, what I thought would have been very funny and hilarious. But instead, we're like, oh, 16 years later, Aurora's big, tall, and she's like, she's with her darling aunt or whatever. It's her 16th birthday. So the fairy godmothers are like, um, go gather berries while we make you a surprise party. Mind you, these women have never cooked, sewed in their lives. They relied on magic. And Meriwether, the, the voice of reason, is like, why don't we just use the wands to make cake? <laughs> And a dress. And Flora and Fauna, who are, I guess, a little bit more romantic types, are like, no, we can do it. You just got to follow the instructions in a book. Imagine how easy the world would be if everybody could comprehend the instructions in a book. <laughs> because Flora and Fauna could not. Especially <laughs> when it comes to baking. I struggle. <laughs> when, Fla- when um, who is it? Fauna? When she folded the actual eggs into the dough, I said, oh, no. Hey, <laughs> hey, scared. hey. It's a little hard sometimes. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I felt her. <laughs> right. And then when she had the three cups, and there were three different cups of three different sizes, I said, this woman has never been in the kitchen in her life. <laughs> in her life. So... While the aunties are at the crib trying to make this birthday surprise happen, we hop over to see Aurora singing in the forest, singing the birds. Because that's what all Disney princesses do. They're friends with all the animals. They love them. And so she's like, um, she's singing Once Upon a Dream and talking about how she's already met a man in her dreams. And so Prince Philip, who's out galloping about in the forest by himself as a prince, which I find very unsafe and unrealistic, but we're going to ignore it. Um... He hears her voice and immediately falls in love. But I'm like, sir, I'm going to need you to get... Where's your your um, self-preservation? Because who hears... If I hear somebody singing in the forest and I'm by myself, I'm running. I'm running. <laughs> I'm running. If we have palm-colored friends who listen to our um, podcast, please explain to me the, the, the interest in finding out what that voice is in the forest. Because to me, it's, it's not <laughs> smart. 
That's not well, one, I wouldn't be in a forest, period. But. Period. <laughs> <laughs> you know, bye-bye loves himself with only a horse. No, that doesn't <laughs> sound good, right? And so while this is happening, we hop over to Maleficent's um, palace and find out that her goons, who are dumber than rocks, I think they're like gar- gargoyles or some shit like that, have only, for the past 16 years, have been looking for baby Aurora. Instead of a grown woman. And so she's like, you know what? Flip, flap, frickity fuck. I'm going to just send my raven, who is the only smart thing. Ravens are actually very smart. Crows are actually very smart. That whole branch of birds are actually very smart. They're petty, too. If you do wrong by a raven or a crow, they will remember you, bitch. And continue (laughs) to harass you for the rest of their lives. So be warned. So she sends out her raven to go look for a grown peasant, Aurora, right? So Aurora returns. So Aurora's sticking in this forest, right? And all of a sudden, um, so the Aurora's taking in the forest, the animals are just like, oh, let's help her. So they find Philip by the bank and they steal his cloak and hat and dance with her and start, she starts singing again. So Philip follows the sound and starts dancing with her and her reaction to him. Oh my God. First of all, <laughs> first of all, he snuck up behind her and started dancing. That is a trigger for most women in the club. Don't do that. Two, um... Aurora's entire reaction to him at first is like, what the fuck is going on? And then she just started singing and dancing with him. And then she's like, oh no, you're a stranger. When he asked her her name. I'm like, babe, I didn't get that light bulb kick on like two minutes ago where you were ball dancing around in the middle of the forest with a strange man. <laughs> but lo and behold, she, but does any of that matter? No, because as she's leaving, she tells him where she lives in a cottage in a glen. Come see you tomorrow. Philip is ecstatic and he goes home, right? Aurora returns home to find um, Flora, uh, Fauna, and Meriwether. Well, what happened was Meriwether was sick of her two sisters and was just like, let me go get these wands so we can make this gown and this cake for real. They clean up, they make the cake, the gown. They argue over the color of the gown. Meriwether wants it to be blue, a girl after my own heart. Flora wants it to be pink. Um, but they get there and that's when they attract the attention of the raven right and so when aurora returns home um they're so happy and they tell her this is your 16th birthday party you can finally she's talking about oh my god i just fell in love with the strange man in the forest and like like babe you're princess engaged like they just tell her that straight up there's like no easing into that topic at all and it's like you're going home tomorrow to your um parents your king and queen parents so you're gonna have to pack up that little love uh affair you just had in the forest and so the raven hears this and goes tell maleficent hey we got her the fairies sneak aurora back into her castle on the day of her birthday celebration we get this little tiff taff between hubert and king stefan um well prince philip first of all shows up and tells his dad that he's uh in love with a a peasant girl and then runs off and i'm like well then <laughs> Um, this is just after, you know, his future in-laws are so excited. So, um, Aurora's heartbroken. They take her up to the castle. They take her up to the top of her room. They put a crown on her head. It's like, it's going to be okay. You're going to meet your parents. It's going to get, um, back to the way they were. They leave her alone for two seconds. And Maleficent lures her up the stairs behind a fireplace to a spindle where she pricks her finger and she falls in a deep sleep. Um... So, Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether decide that they're going to put the entire kingdom to sleep 
until they can find Aurora's first true love. So they're going around waving their fairy dust and making everybody fall asleep. And they start to hear King Herbert talk about Philip. Philip fell in love with a peasant girl. A peasant girl who, um, I think he asked her where she lived. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what he was like in the glen or something like that. And so F- Flora's like, oh, fuck. We need to find Prince Philip. We need to go back to the cottage to get Prince Philip because that's Aurora's first. That's Aurora's true love. So Philip ends up at the cottage. Maleficent is there with her goons. He, she's like, haha, I set up a trap for a peasant and I got a prince. She takes him back to her castle, ties him up, and tells him, I'm going to let you stay here for 100 years while homegirl is asleep and she's not going to want to love you anymore when you're old and, dec- and basically, you know, um, not a handsome young prince anymore and so the fairies um roll up to maleficent's castle they release philip um they give him a sword of truth and a shield of virtue um for magical items they were very lame looking uh so they fight their way out of the castle you know flora was on her bullshit she's trying to rocks in the bubbles arrows in the flowers hot grease you know being shielded by rainbows and then we had homegirl merryweather take that raven out and i was like that was purr that was beautiful and so maleficent was like i think the fuck not so she whips up a whole spell for like a a forest of like vines and thorns to be surrounded by um aurora's castle philip is like that's not gonna stop me so he cuts through all of that maleficent was like oh fuck and so she beams herself over to the castle turns into a dragon they fight philip stabs her in the chest then philip goes upstairs kisses aurora the party unfreeze then they unfreeze everything and you know the parents are like what just happened and then they kiss and dance and and that's the end of the movie <laughs> um thoughts I thought it was a good film. Um, that might be more towards the fact that we're getting to the films that I remember as a child. So there's a bit mm-hmm. of nostalgia um, watching this film. But I wasn't okay. bored watching the whole thing. Okay, okay. Uh, Corey, thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was like boring or anything like the past couple of uh, animated Disney films we watched. But at the same time, the whole kissing somebody in their sleep thing really like bothers me <laughs> so yes yeah. yes yes nia thoughts mm. what's funny is that before <laughs> this i thought i would feel more nostalgic and like give it like a flying colors thing because i like mm-hmm. the music in this but i was very bored <laughs> it's very very bored so this was just like i say it's average like i wasn't really invested so yeah yeah um same it was one of the more boring stories we've uh watched um definitely the problematic thing with consent um it was just it was prettier than i remembered it i can't say that it's a highly stylized disney movie um the music was boring god um but it was one of those things where i could (laughs) when snow white exists (laughs) it's it's they're like neck and neck honestly okay well no yeah they're like neck and neck but i only say sleeping beauty is better because of maleficent and then the fairies Mm -hmm. let's jump into interesting production facts 
Sources are Mental Floss article by our girl Stacey Conrad, Survive the Shows article by Tiar Lombati, a D23 article by Jim Fanning, and Fresh Baked Disney article by Ray Greer. Also, I'll be taking some notes from Wikipedia. Um, first, although it's a classic now, Sleeping Beauty was not um, a darling at the time. Critics thought the movie moved slow and lacked... Um, Muslo like character development. Um, and if you look at some of the the critiques here, somebody, let's see. Um, the time harshly wrote that even the drawing in Sleeping Beauty is crude. A compromise between sentimental crayon book childish and the sort of cute comical cubism that tries to sing daring but is really square. The hero and the hero the hero and the heroine are sugar sculpture, and the witch looks like a clumsy tracing from a Charles Adams cartoon. The plot often seems to owe less to the tradition of the fairy tale than to the formula of the monster movie. In the final reel, reel it is not a mere old fashioned witch the hero has to kill, but the latest model of the things from forty thousand phantoms. Who? Harrison reports that it's doubtful, however, if adults will find such satisfaction on Sleeping Beauty as they did in Snow White and The Seven Doors, which this latest effort will be assuredly compared because both stories are in many respects similar. While Beauty is unquestionably superior from the viewpoint of the art and animation, it lacks comedy characters that can be compared favorably with the unforgettable Seven Doors. Now, I would like to take a stance against Harrison because, honestly, The Seven Doors are creepy to me. And Snow White, it's a very interesting take of having a teenage girl just be a maid for seven minutes in the middle of the woods. Um, the women in this film carried the fairies were funnier. Well, not they weren't funnier, but like they were. It was more easy to watch the fairies than the Seven Dwarfs to me. Mm-hmm. But it's you know there was some favorable reviews from like Variety praised the singing voices. <laughs> not the storytelling. <laughs> oh, somebody did say um, some of the best parts of the picture are those dealing with the three good fairies, spoken and sung by Verna Velton, Barbara Jo Allen, and Barbara Ludi. Um, so yeah, Sleeping Beauty was actually a box office bomb, at least compared to the cost production. The company decided that the princess movies weren't exactly the way of the future. Little did they know. Um, they didn't make another princess movie until 30 years later with The Little Mermaid was released in 1989. Y'all, this will be our last princess movie for a while. <laughs> Moving on to cast and things. Prince Philip is said to have been named after Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, the husband of Queen Elizabeth II. Costa, who is the voice of Sleeping Beauty, um, is from Knoxville, Tennessee, and she has a southern accent, which actually almost prevented her from getting the job. But there were other southern actresses who could maintain an English accent. So they said, we're going to take a chance on her. And that's how she finished the guy's job. And though Costa provided the voice of Aurora, an actress named Helena Stanley was a live action reference. She also served as a reference for Cinderella and Anita from our next Disney movie, 101 Dalmatians. Um, not only do they draw expen- um the, the inspiration from Helena. They also uh, uh, took features in the body type of Audrey Hepburn, which I can kind of see if you watch it closely. Maleficent. Um, um, Ellen Audley, who's the voice of the Wicked Stepmother Cinderella, Cinderella, was asked to do Maleficent. However, Eleanor initially turned the role down because she was battling tuber- tuberculosis at the time. Eventually, she reconsidered um, and we, um, they're very grateful because she's also the voice of Madame Lota in the Haunted Mansion. So then we have the making process. Um, another reason it took actually six years to um, 
do Princess Aurora and Friends because Disney actually registered Sleeping Beauty a plan for the production in 1950. Um, it was like this probably would have been right after Cinderella, which was to release in like February. Um, Walt had envisioned the Sleeping Beauty based on the seventh century version of the famous tale. Um, but it took six years because Walt was also working on Disneyland. Um, the castle that was originally supposed to be named after the Disney princesses, Snow White, but in a, they actually, right before Disneyland had opened a few months or something before Sleeping Beauty came out. And so they changed it from being Snow White's castle to Sleeping Beauty's castle to promote the character, which is a great marketing technique. So moving on to Zine, um, the director for this is stated to be Eric Larson. He's one of the I know men, but the first director was actually Lee was actually Wilfred Jackson. Um, he had been working on the story for uh, since like 1950-51 when Walt had first did it. They had a bunch of different rewrites, but you know, Walt and Walt and Ted Sears and were like very lukewarm about stories but then 1953 jackson suffered from a heart attack and as a result the directing animated changed to eric lodgson who took over as director and by april 1954 sleeping beauty was scheduled for 57 while larson as a director um disney instructed him that the picture was to be a moving illustration the ultimate in animation you can definitely tell by all the colors um that this is what they were aiming for there was a lot that they went back and forth on the design process walt worried about the constant comparisons to snow white cinderella so he worked with um early early is the art director i'm pretty sure let me double check yeah damn how do i even say his first name e y v i n d even even i'm sure it's close <laughs> yeah my bad bro uh, even Earl, he joined, he joined one Disney Productions in 1951. Um, and so they worked very closely. Um, so he wanted Earl to come up with a very stylized, angular sleeping beauty. They created a style approach from a radical departure from previous Disney animated features. Earl combined Gothic, French, Italian, and pre-Renaissance influences with his own abstract um, style of realism to create a formalized elegance and a design of sleeping beauty to create sumptuously styled paranormal panoramas for widescreen spectacle earl painted dozens of backgrounds of this distinctive style some of them were 15 feet long jesus christ um it was painstaking and time consuming that's why it took six years and six million dollars to make sleeping beauty but to us it was worth it walt once said early also worked on peter pan and lady and the tramp among others um the sequence director eric larson recalled that conscious effort to strive for sleeping beauty's perfection walt told me after one story meaning that he didn't care how long it took but to do it right walt challenged more than 300 sleeping beauty artists and technicians to make f- each frame an independent work of art they were also um davis who was in charge of maleficent was actually inspired by religious paintings from czechoslovakian art books um he experimented with flame-like shapes and patterns and triangle and color, basing Maleficent's headdress off goat horns and material framing her face off bat wings. The artist gave her flowing garment a reptilian quality, foreshadowing the dragon the evil fairy would later transform into. Some other facts is that Sleeping Beauty played um, only in carefully selected theaters, especially equipped to project the film. It was in Technorama 70 and six-track stereo sound. 
It has since become one of the most artistically acclaimed features ever produced. Sleeping Beauty is the most um, beautiful film we have ever made, said Walt in 1959. It has has been a definite challenge, but thanks to our talented staff of artists and technicians, it has been met. They have now developed the process of animation to the point where it can truly be called the art of the lived moving painting. Um, The scenes of which Flora and... Fauna discussed the color of Aurora's dress was inspired by a problem the filmmakers had to um, to decide just that on the aspect of the dress. To create the sound effect for the dragon's breath, a flamethrower was used, and the sound of the jaw were used as um, the sound for the jaw was chestnuts. The fairy tale book that opens in the movie was real and entirely hand-painted by Early. The man responsible for the entire look and feel of the move. It was actually restored in 2008. It's now part of Disney Archives. Um, and when the fairies discuss how to help the king and the queen early on in the film, Meriwether makes cookies in the shape of a classic Mickey Mouse head. I don't remember this. Mm-hmm. Do y'all remember that? I don't remember that. No, mm-hmm. I was not paying Mm-mm. that close. I don't know why. This is a fact that was on very many different sites. Mm. I don't remember this. They didn't cook at all, did they? <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe this the version on Disney Plus has been edited. Maybe I'd have to go back and check. Yep, yep, yep. So those are interesting facts. This was you can tell that the production crew, Disney himself, um, spent a lot of time in making this look pretty, mm-hmm. which I completely agree on. When they said this man was making fifteen feet panoramas for film that's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, when the movie started i was like has this been remastered i was like Same. why, why <laughs> is it so pretty the colors are so vivid i don't remember yeah. being that vivid but yeah let's move over to music with Nia. okay cool cool so i covered music and so the i got my sources from the disney wiki um the wikipedia page imdb and soundtrack.net um okay so some basic information just about the soundtrack and the music in general um according to the wikipedia there's officially eight songs but on the deluxe editions there are more um like the remastered soundtracks that got released in like 2006 i believe um bill shirley and mary costa auditioned together so that they their voices would complement each other's. Um, in 1952, Billboard reported that Jack Lawrence and Sammy Fain had signed to compose the score, but that changed when Disney kind of did a 180 and was like, actually, we don't need y'all. <laughs> We're going to base the songs off of Tchaikovsky's um, 1890 Sleeping Beauty Ballet, which um, everybody, I think, knows Tchaikovsky. He did the Nutcracker and, yeah, very famous. So I didn't know he had a sleeping beauty ballet but that was very interesting to read and they literally formulated the songs on the soundtrack basing them off of numbers in the ballet which was interesting um and so he scrapped all of the songs that fane and lawrence had composed besides once upon a dream the irony like we're gonna throw out all your other songs except this one and that becomes the big famous song of the movie um walter schumann if that's schumann yeah (laughs) showman s yeah I think y'all pronunciation similar to that (laughs) Um, was originally slated to be the film composer, but he left due to creative differences and George Bruns was added and he was recommended to replace him. And he, he was the main composer um, that he picked up where um, Fane and Lawrence left. And so he composed every other song besides once upon a dream. Um, I think he did the music, but not the lyrics in the melody. 
that's not that but don't quote me on that he had like some involvement but i'm not quite sure um this was the first time george bruns was working with disney but he would later go on to be a really like key player in the music for the parks and for some movies in the 60s and 70s um so he worked on like the aristocats the jungle book sword in the stone all those like 70s movies he did a lot of songs for those films and then he also does like for the theme park if anybody's been to disney they have a ride where it's like the song is a yo-ho-ho a pirate's life for me and i think that's the pirates of the caribbean i could Mm -hmm. be wrong it It is. is okay it's the pirates of caribbean ride. so he did that song so yes he had a long career with disney after this movie and what's interesting about this film though watching it back i didn't realize that a lot of it for the first time is not it's not full of character driven songs. Um, Like the people Mm -hmm. on screen, the characters on screen are rarely singing to us. I'd say that Aurora has two songs, which is once upon a dream, obviously. And then her song, I wonder, um, which she sings in the forest. And then you have the song that the two Kings sing together about what's it called? Scumps. That's the song that they sing. But for the most part we hear it's mostly non-diegetic music which means music that we hear but the characters don't and so it's the choir singing the songs in the background in between scenes and so it's very different for disney usually they'll have the characters on stage singing for 90 percent of the time but this time they don't which is interesting so like there's no villain song there's no prince song there's it's just like three songs sung by characters and that's it um but it is kind of similar to Alice in Wonderland in that the songs are shorter. Um, Once Upon a Dream is like the only full song that's like a solid three minutes. I feel like everything else is under two minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to go check the length times of the songs, though. I could be wrong. But I feel like a lot of the songs aren't that long. Um, and then so moving on the interesting fact because of a musician strike during this time um the musical score was recorded in berlin germany with the gronky <laughs> gronky yeah, symphony orchestra right, right? <laughs> symphony orchestra from september 8th through 25th in 1958 and um so like that actual is like a professional chorus in the background that has a like very famous in germany and then uh this was the film that kickstarted Mary Costa's opera career. So like she really had a, um, this was like her big break. And so now I'm going to talk about the main song of this movie that everyone knows once upon a dream. Um, like I said before, it was written by Jack Lawrence and Sammy Fain and the music. Okay. So the music is done by George Burns. So he did that part. Um, then once upon a dream is largely based on the, what is this op? What is opera? I don't know how to read this. Okay, the sixty-six waltz of <laughs> the Sleeping Beauty ballet, but it's mm-hmm. like number sixty-six. So I, if y'all want to watch the play, I bet you'd be able to probably pick out moments that sound similar to this film soundtrack and this song in particular. Um, it is the most famous song from the film, and it's like the song that it's like the main theme. They repeat it several times, so it starts in the beginning. They play it. The characters sing it once and then it ends on that song so it's like the song for the movie um and i don't know if anybody remembers this but in the early 2000s like all the disney stars on disney channel like recorded like a dance version of this song and it was like all the the cast members so it was like raven and like (laughs) like all the sweet life zach and cody 
tea, like everybody was singing the song, but it's like a dancier version. It doesn't, it's not bad. It kind of oh, hits. Oh, I remembered. <laughs> you do? Yes. Because <laughs> they had a music video, right? Yes. Yes, yes they I did. Listen, it's kind of, it kind of hits. It does. Um, You're not wrong. Right? And then um, I did not know this. So for the Maleficent movie in 2014, Lana Del Rey recorded another version of the song that charted to a peak of number five on the U.S. bubbling under chart, but it was certified platinum, like a million copies, which is wild. Um, and so for this film, the songs um, were actually, I'm shocked that like this had a lot of nominations, but it had an Oscar nomination for best scoring of a most musical picture. Um, but it Why? Lost to Porgy and Be- <laughs> I, <laughs> listen, I don't know, um, but it lost to Porgy and Bess. Um, and then the Grammys, it, it was nominated for best, uh, soundtrack album, original cast, motion picture or television. Um, but it also lost to Porgy and Bess. Um, and then in 2006, it was nominated for AFI's greatest movie musicals and, but it didn't win. It was just nominated. So I'm shocked. Like I didn't, I knew once upon a dream was big, but I didn't know that people were like, this is like oscar and grammy weather worthy but i mean great i mean i like the songs but Mm -hmm. there's not really many memorable songs besides once upon a dream i mean i like aurora's song i wonder that she sings in the in the forest but that's pretty much it so do y'all like the soundtrack do you are the songs memorable to y'all only once upon a dream exactly (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah but that's the first Disney song out of anyone they've listened to that was memorable to me. So maybe that's why I really liked it. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, and no. so that's my part for the music. Yeah, the music. If the story is going to be boring, the music at least got a slap. Disney hadn't figured that out yet. And <laughs> it was kind of like the constant choirs kind of made it, I don't know, it took it into this kind of ethereal realm that didn't feel right for the film. Like, mm. it's pretty, but do I need to hear choir singing in the background? About a 16-year-old girl making mistakes about falling in love with a stranger in the forest? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> um, What about you, Nia? What did you think? Um, Besides those two songs, I truly don't remember any of the other songs on this soundtrack. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I think Once Upon a Dream is a great song. I just feel like if they would have added maybe two or three more, like, character songs maybe give Maleficent a song or give like the prince a song I feel like Mm -hmm. that would have made it more robust or even give the fairies a song like I feel like we just like the one or two three the one to three like character songs kind of made it sort of like okay here comes the choir again and I I didn't hate it I just because I think the choir is great but it kind of just doesn't make it feel the same as a musical because in a musical you think okay these characters are gonna like break out in the song because they're so overwhelmed by what's happening right but just to hear like a moment happen and then a choir comes in I'm like hmm I don't know it didn't feel this it didn't feel right let's move on to origins with Marin. okay my sources are waltdisney.org and a blog called weep uh, sharples 2013weebly.com because I know Decoria is t- going to talk about the different versions of Sleeping the Sleeping Beauty fa- fairy tale. I'm going to talk about the differences between the Disney movie and the Grimm Brothers fairy tale. Um, okay, so while on a walk, um, in this is all what happens in the Grimm 
brother's fairy tale. While on a walk, the queen saves a little fish who got stuck um, out of water. The fish thanks her by telling her that she will finally bear a child. The princess's true name is Briar Rose in the entire book. Um, there's no arranged marriage for Briar Rose. There are 13 fairies in the kingdom, but fairies are referred to as wise women. All were supposed to be invited to the party, but the king and queen only had 12 golden dishes. They were afraid the 13th fairy would be offended if she wasn't served her meal in a golden dish as well, so they didn't invite her at all. And all the fairies um, come dressed in red. The 13th wise woman puts a curse on the princess, proclaiming that she will die at age 15, not 16, by pricking her finger on a spindle of a spinning wheel. The twelfth wise woman still needed to give a gift to the princess, so she lessened the curse and promised she would not die but sleep 100 years. Um, the princess never hides with the fairies in the forest. She just stays with her royal parents. The prince comes across the castle and its inhabitants, inhabitants in the 100th year, which is how he is able to get into the castle. Um, the prince and the 13th fairy never fight. In fact, the 13th fairy isn't mentioned in the story at all after the curse is laid. And the kiss isn't what wakes up Briar Rose. It's a coincidence that the prince kisses her as the curse expires. So, no. One, y'all are a royal kingdom. Y'all can't come up with another golden dish? I'm sorry. <laughs> They're running low That's... on funds. Really? For real, though? Then why don't you just change it to whatever dish you have? That has 13. I feel like y'all are setting yourselves up. Um, yeah. The origins of the story is not as dark. I I think I read I would wait. I would wait until Corey's part before you say it's not dark. Oh, yeah, because this is just the Grimm Brothers version. Yeah. Right. I know I've read like another version that was super dark. Mm-hmm. But um, but yes. Um, when you were reading it, was it like it wasn't I, in medieval. No, I only read um I went and just went to these blog sites to find information. I was like, I'm not reading this storyline <laughs> at all. So I would not because I first there was just I honestly I was a little overwhelmed because when you look up the origin, there's a reason why Corey's part is so long, so much information yes. comes out. And I was like, yes. I was just gonna stick with the Grimm brothers and I found bullet point information about oh, them. Oh, okay, okay. I wonder if the Grim Brothers is that similar to the Chris Perlute one. The one I that inspired we'll Disney. It probably is. It's probably on the Wikipedia page. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and jump into variations with Corey. Okay, so this is a story that actually does have variations finally after like the past couple <laughs> movies that we've done. Right. Um, there are so many different versions of Sleeping Beauty throughout history that it has its own Arne Thompson's Uther type. And if you guys remember from our Snow White episodes, that's like the categorization of like folk tales and fairy tales and sleeping beauty is type 410 and it's like a whole list of stories under that uh number so the first story i'm going to talk about is purse pierce force i don't know how to pronounce these any of this stuff in this entire section to be quite <laughs> honest so excuse me for my pronunciation and um the source is medievalist.net um, so Purse Force is a French romance with an anonymous author. Nobody knows who wrote it from 1528. And so a princess named Celandine falls in love with a knight named Troilus. Her father sends him to perform a task to prove himself worthy of her. And while he is gone, Zedeline falls into an enchanted sleep. Uh, Troilus visits three goddesses in his quest to save Zedeline and 
assaults her in her sleep not just kisses her but like mm. full-on sexual assault in her sleep um he was encouraged by the goddess venus to do so and uh Zedaline becomes pregnant uh and their child is when their child is born the child uh like it can't find her breasts to get milk so they suck on her finger and it draws out the flax seed that originally caused her to fall asleep and she wakes up and uh she realized that a ring on her finger was left by the knight troilus and he returns and marries her yeah that's what (laughs) it's like it's really i don't know i really don't know (laughs) it's gonna get worse it just gets worse i'm just gonna let you know that now (laughs) jesus christ okay okay so the next version is even older than this version. Uh, it's Nebel Longenlied. Wow. Okay. Sure. Uh, it's yeah. a Germanic <laughs> heroic tale of another anonymous origins written in the 1200s. So Brunhilda was a Valkyrie who lost her position because she decided the outcome of a battle in the opposite way from what Odin wanted. As punishment for her radical free thinking, <laughs> the ruler of Asir forced her to live as a mortal and trapped her inside of a ring of fire and a castle in the Alps and put her to sleep, basically. The great hero Siegfried found her and rescued her and he promised to marry her. And then he meets the sorceress uh, and she gives him a potion that makes him forget his promise. So instead, he marries the sorceress's daughter, which really pisses off Brunhilde. Uh... And so the sorcerer's son decides, like, you know what? Instead, I'm going to marry Brunhilde instead of Siegfried doing it since he already married my sister. Uh, But once again, Brunhilde did not like this because she wanted to marry Siegfried. And because she was so angry, she conspired to have Siegfried killed. And at his funeral, she decided to jump into the funeral pyre because she was so distraught at his death. Even though she plotted for him to be killed. (laughs) What? I know Disney was reading these and we're like, okay, no. No to that version. No to that version. <laughs> like, have her, you know, murdering somebody that committing suicide. So, absolutely not. <laughs> Sexual yeah. assault is definitely off the table. <laughs> like, yeah. Just... yeah. All of these, like, I'm, I, all of the variations that I read, especially the older ones, none of them is just them simply, like, kissing her in her sleep. It's always, like, assault. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Okay. So, the last one I'm going to talk about is, uh, I think that this is the one that the Grimm brothers got inspired by. Yeah. So, this one is called uh, Sun, Moon, and Talia, the source's Wikipedia. It's by Gian Battista Basile. He was mentioned in another one of our episodes, probably several of them. Um, and so... After the birth of a great lord's daughter, Talia, wise men and astrologers cast the child's horoscope and predicted that Talia would be endangered by a splinter of flax. So flax is like a flower. Um, And to protect his daughter, the father commands that no flax would ever be brought into his house. Years later, Talia sees an old woman spinning a flax on a spindle. She asks the woman if she can stretch the flax herself, but as soon as she begins to spin it, a splinter of flax goes under her fingernail and she drops to the ground in sleep. And people think she's dead, but she's just asleep. So unable to stand the thought of burying his child on the ground, um, Talia's father decides to put her in a county estate that he had and, like, rest her on, like, a bed and whatnot. Like, kind of like a glass coffin, like Cinderella. I mean, Snow White. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So sometime later, a king who is out hunting in nearby woods follow his, follows his falcon into the house and he finds Talia overcome by her beauty. He tries unsuccessfully to wake her and then crying out loud, something, something, blah, blah, blah. He assaults her. Um, and after he, he leaves and returns to his own city and Talia becomes pregnant. Nine months later, while still sleeping, she gives birth to twins. One day, the girl cannot find her mother's breasts for milk, and so she sucks on her finger and draws out the flax spinner, just like the first story I mentioned. And then Talia awakens and immediately names her beloved children Sun, Moon, and lives with them in the house. Now, I didn't put this part in like the section because it was too much to write, but basically, what happens after this is the king was already married when he did this. He had a wife. And so, (laughs) yeah, so he finds out about like Talia and his two children and he's like, you know, he's like in love with her, I guess, or whatever. He wants to live with her. But the wife finds out and she's like, what the hell? Like, we're literally married. You can't just go cheat on me like that. So she conspires to have Talia and her two children cooked and wants to feed them to the king. Uh, yeah she wants she she coerces the cook to help her kidnap the children and the wife and talia and kill them and cook them to feed them to the king (laughs) yeah but luckily the cook had like morals and he was like i'm not like he he tricked the queen into thinking that he actually did this but he actually he didn't and he kind of let the king know like this was this was what was going on and so the king is like okay well i'm gonna cook my wife instead and then the cook once again being the voice of reason is like no like we're not doing this so i think the queen is banished and then uh talia and the king marry and they live happily ever after with their two kids in the end yeah this was the version i read a few how was the version how is the group of this the best version? No, because, like, this has to be, like, this type of, why is this type of story so common? The oldest I, one we have on here is from the 1200s. Yeah, I and I think there was one, I think I when I was reading about the one from the 1200s, like, so I know Germanic tribes follow Norse mythology, so there's, mm-hmm. I think there's one even, like, older than that one i'm not even sure like for some reason the story has just been around for so long it doesn't make any sense to me it doesn't it's literally like sexual assault babies being born yeah babies giving the mothers and i'm like giving birth is also like a doorway to death so it's like a really convoluted like what is the point of this story because like (laughs) in the 1200 ones brunhilda what got gypped by a motherfucker who just wanted his daughter to marry the man a specific man and then she killed yeah the 1200 <laughs> ones the 1200 ones I, I don't know what it was trying to teach like don't disobey odin like what like what was it trying to teach i don't i don't understand <laughs> like none of these stories are like morally telling you anything they're not relaying any like deep-seated information besides that men are trash which is like I don't, I don't get it. I don't. Why are there so many different versions of this story? That's yeah. so weird. So I mean, we can just jump into critiques of Sleeping Beauty. Um, I'm looking at this post from feministdisney.tumblr. Uh, the post is a really good post. It's overall like just pointing out the the kind of things that I think that you could look over in this film because 
the thing about Sleeping Beauty is that you can look away from this film for five seconds, not pay attention to the dialogue, not five seconds, five minutes, and still fall in love with the story. But in doing so, I feel like you miss a lot of the uh, basic misogynistic plot that goes on. Like, for instance, um, the first thing that I kind of picked up is that they were they were introducing its good King Stefan and his queen. Um, I don't even think they name her in the story. If you look at the design of Stefan, the mother of Sleeping Beauty, um, Stefan is a very detailed and a highly realized character comparison in like colors. She's um she pulls out a critique from a place called a feminist critique on animation. It says that she is never looked at, spoken directly to, or seen in a way as having any importance other than her role as Stefan's wife. Even her daughter is not hers or is Stefan's child. She has no identity. Her sole line in the entire movie is to ask Maleficent if she is offended. The queen, the mother, has been entirely stripped of any semblance of personage, any semblance of humanity, to become a simply vessel of childbirth of an attractive toy on Stefan's arm which I agree with. I just, I also find it very odd that considering a lot of the Disney movies we've watched, Aurora has like 15 lines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she barely talks. <laughs> barely talks. Like, that's why I thought it was interesting that instead of making this a more character-based story and showing us like baby Aurora and Aurora when she's six and then like Aurora when she's 16, we like immediately jump to Aurora being 16, right? And like the assumption that Aurora at 16 is looking for a man she's been living in a forest i think travel would be the first maybe thing <laughs> or like getting to know philip like falling in love with him at 16 is also very problematic rhetoric but also the conversation between philip and hubert where they're like hubert's like i've already built up a house don't you want to see our grandchildren they're already making babies and stefan is like um i haven't seen my daughter in 16 years why are you so such such in a rush to have the kids moved out and things like that and but even at the end of the conversation he gets talked into like getting a cradle made and things like that and it's like your daughter's been here for she's not even at the castle yet why are we like on this whole like i get it in the in the later days 16 was probably a ripe age to have kids um it's not now <laughs> it should have never been but like there's not all the nuance on the characters um also the gifts that are given to aurora are like beauty and a singing voice and like even her gift even her gift to like break the curse is like sleeping it's like none of their her gifts are are based off anything besides like mis misogynistic values of women uh -huh. so there's a lot of that <laughs> she's a very passive character in her own movie which is no, what probably one of the reasons nobody ever re remembers that her name is actually Aurora. We all call her Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> um, and I like that this is the other thing that they pointed out that the only person who has like a personality is Maleficent, and Maleficent is only evil because she's not willing to follow orders or like doesn't. She's not doing what any of the other female characters in the story are doing. You know what I'm saying? Like even the fairies are kind mm -hmm. of like they're doing everything under the guise of protecting aurora but it's only so aurora can get married to philip right like there's no other goal in her life there's no other now i'm thinking about it cinderella was very progressive like i don't understand how we we went from like what snowing to, to cinderella to sleeping beauty yeah, I think maybe because, like, the original story that Cinderella was based off must have been as progressive, kind of, as the movie. Whereas Sleeping Beauty, the story that it's based off is not progressive in any way. 
Like it's it's, it's literally yeah, a reflection yeah. of the times that it was written in, which is like the twelve hundreds. <laughs> yes. So. Yes. That's a very good point. That's a very, very good point. Also, Philip had no personality. Also, he's really not that cute. Also, like <laughs> homeboy could fight. That was about it. That was about it. <laughs> yeah. It is crazy that like he got to that Philip was the only one who could rebel against like being married. He was seen as just a hero. I see like laughs and gallops away from the wedding but like aurora's like being dragged there she's crying and having a breakdown and i don't know it's a very i don't i mm, this is something that i don't think i would have the desire to show my children not because it's problematic it's because it's boring um if i showed it to them i feel like it'd be a great discussion about consent stranger danger all that good stuff you know um it's very pretty to look at but it's so like one dimensional, which it's very obvious that Walt was like, I want a pretty film. He didn't care about anything else, which is incredible because he's like, I want it done right. I was like, but your story is boring. So how are we doing this right? What about you guys? Did you get any other like nuances or anything you found weird in the film? Um, When Prince Philip went to go see his baby wife, I said, that's weird. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable with that. <laughs> yeah, because we went from Snow White, Snow White, it does Cinderella, feel like a Alice in Wonderland, and it's super pretty. Yeah, it feels like an, a huge regression. It's no wonder y'all took 30 years to make another princess thing movie. You didn't know what the fuck you were doing. <laughs> they didn't know what they were doing, in my opinion. Even with the whole different versions of the story. I mean, I guess we're also asking a lot from a bunch of white men in the 50s to make anything progressive <laughs> but yeah um sleeping beauty was lackluster um if you're an aurora fan please explain why <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not that she's awful it's just she has no personality i definitely enjoyed the the live action maleficent more than anything Oh yeah, of this anime. Yeah, that's uh, actually a good movie. Cause it explained it? why. Yes. Yeah. It explained why Maleficent decided to curse her in the first place. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. cause Maleficent showing up and being like, "Oh, you didn't invite me to this party." Death. <laughs> I love the petty energy, but she's a child, right? <laughs> it actually like fleshed out her character, and yeah. then also yeah. Angelina Jolie is a great actress. So yeah. Period. Period. Yeah. Maleficent, this is one of those movies where the villain was more iconic than the protagonist. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the side characters, the fairies, were, had more personality than Sleeping Beauty ever could have. <laughs> you could literally replace her with any, <laughs> any Anybody. Girl. Yeah, anyone. Nobody would notice. I, feel, I bet, like, people, if you ask them what color Sleeping Beauty's hair, they probably couldn't even answer you. Oof. Bruh. <laughs> I was okay. tripping because I'm like, why is her dress blue? No, it's same. I, remember, I, I thought her dress was pink. I thought her dress was pink. That's what I remember. <laughs> I was tripping. I was like, that dress has never been blue. What are we doing? <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but it's cool that um, we've gotten some like reiterations of Sleeping Beauty out of Disney at the very least. I give Sleeping Beauty a 2 out of 10. What about you, Marion? What did you give Sleeping Beauty? Um, I give it a 5 out of 10. I really think the movie's really pretty, and I understand that Maleficent is evil in this, 
but she just looks good. I love the way they drew her. I love the color theme on her. And um, Face every- beat. She had yeah. a beat. Every day. <laughs> All day, every day. And there's also a nostalgic factor in it. So yeah, I'd give it a 5 out of 10. Okay, okay. What about you, Corey? Yeah, I'll give it like a 4 because it was so like pleasing to look at. But like you were pointing out, like the story itself is kind of, it's like very boring. Mm-hmm. So instead of watching this just watch maleficent <laughs> it's a way better movie you actually be entertained yes yes uh nia what about you hmm. i will give it like a three four slash because maybe a three because i like the two songs and it's very nicely animated but i was literally like bored out of my mind <laughs> watching it <laughs> so yeah i definitely say three okay yeah i give it a two just because it's boring i have nothing the it would have got higher if the music was better but it wasn't so yeah that was sleeping beauty um next up on our list is sword of the stone and then we're moving into pre-golden era the jungle book <laughs> Ugh, i'm excited we're going to get to get some really good music um but thank you guys so much for listening to deconstructing disney we always love doing these this is a monthly series um and so don't forget to make sure you have your notification bells on and come talk to us about disney movies on twitter at commented and tiktok at common podcast and don't forget to leave us a five-star review or you too will fall asleep if your finger is pricked by a spindle May you be cursed with being the side character for the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Actual curse. (laughs) (laughs) You want your main character effect? Give us five stars. Okay. Love you. Until next time. I'm Tori. I'm Marin. I'm Nia. And I'm Decoria. Bye-bye. Bye.